This is Lisa Loeb, and you're listening to Your Morning Coffee, the podcast with your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Weekly music news for the new music business. From Variety, AM and FM radio do not pay royalties to artists. That's un-American. From Time Magazine, Grammys okay AI use in music, but ban fully AI-generated songs. And from various sources, changes at Spotify, what you need to know. And Jay and I determine what you need to know. And then we will tell you what you need to know. <laughs> yeah, we And then will. we will tell you all the stuff. All right. So there it is. All right, we've got a great show. We are looking forward to start talking about it right about now. Stand by for transmission. This is London calling. Wake up! Your morning coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. And now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Well, Jay, there you are, uh, rocking the Gulf Coast. Yeah, coming to you... Uh Semi-live from St. Petersburg, Florida, visiting uh, <laughs> mom and dad, having some good food and good company. It's been great. Yeah, I love that. In uh, hanging out, uh, doing a little sunbathing on the beach, I would yeah. imagine. Oh, We're in the Speedo, it. cruising around. Sure. Sure. Nobody wants to see that. Nobody wants to <laughs> oh, it must be nice. It's nice to get away and have a little chill time with the folks. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, a nice, that's a nice trip. Yeah. And, uh, it's beautiful. I'm, yeah, good for you. Good Thanks. for you. A little R and R. Yeah, uh, and so much to talk about. Gosh, it's been a busy week. Of you course, know it. and you know we talk about this a lot. It's you know it used to be summertime was kind of the mellow time, but there's no mellow time anymore. No. It's all stuff going on and lots of changes, lots of topics to talk about, and 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 this. I, I mean every. Every week, the newsletter is great, but this week, the newsletter was epic. There was just so many great articles in it. and Thank you. Uh, I found myself just going down rabbit holes. Yeah, it was, it was like a, a treasure hunt, hunt really. You it know, was a because treasure Because it starts hunt. off in the beginning of the week, and it's a little quiet, and then as the week progresses, it's like an avalanche, and there was so much to talk about, and we'll jump into some of the stories in a minute, but um, I want to talk a little bit about Billboard Pro. Um, if you subscribe to Billboard Pro, you get certain uh, newsletters, and we always talk about Glenn Peoples, but there's also a really cool one called The Legal Beat by Bill Donahue uh, that I never miss, 
And uh, this last week, the big story was Twitter's $250 million music problem. Did you see that? I certainly did. And really interesting article. And um, yeah, we're ta- uh, well, I mean, I'll, let's let's jump into it a little bit. It's, it's as it says in last week's uh, least surprising development, the music publishers sued Twitter. After years of warnings from the National Music Publishers Association, David Israelite called Elon Musk's website his top legal focus earlier this year. Dozens of the group's members filed a sweeping copyright lawsuit in federal court. Oh, yeah. Surprise or not, the case is a big deal. The publishers claim that Twitter has infringed over 1,700 different songs from writers like Taylor Swift, Beyonce, a claim that, if proven, could put the social media giant, Twitter, on the hook, get this, for as much as $255 million in damages. That's a big number. Uh, Damages aren't likely the end goal for the publishers, though. Licensing deals outside the realm of plain old music streaming, ranging from social media sites like Instagram to gaming platforms like Roblox to fitness services like Peloton, have become an increasingly large slice of the revenue pie for publishers and songwriters in recent years. But many of those deals only came as settlements to lawsuits. Mm -hmm. Just ask Roblox and Peloton. Twitter... The publishers say is one of the last holdouts refusing to sign such a deal. Yeah, such great coverage. I highly recommend that you subscribe to Billboard Pro. Definitely read these uh, these great newsletters that come along with it. And to read more about this lawsuit, including the actual complaint itself, you can read the entire uh, piece on Billboard. So yeah, really interesting stuff, and we will keep an eye on that for sure. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and one other thing, really quickly before we jump in, Mike, you and I were talking earlier. Something interesting happened this week, which I think is really groundbreaking, and that was that Sony Music created a new EVP position, executive vice president of AI, artificial intelligence. Um, they hired BPI's Jeff Taylor, and it's believed to be the first executive level AI specific role at any of the majors. Yeah. uh, In the new role, Taylor will coordinate the major labels business efforts surrounding artificial intelligence and coordinate across the global digital business and business and legal affairs division, according to a memo that went out. So very interesting. And what's more interesting is, is they didn't talk to us about that job. Um, You're too busy. Come on on now. Yeah. Well, what I find interesting is like it's about time and Mm -hmm. I'm surprised everybody else hasn't. But don't you think that in the coming weeks, months, year, that all of the majors, major indies, indies are going to have some position that's focused on artificial intelligence and music? I would think so. Absolutely. But, you know, what's interesting, and we've talked about this a lot, there are so many different flavors of what AI can mean to a music company. Right. And it's, uh, and many of which are super beneficial and, and not, uh, you know, scary, as we kind of talk about. Um, That's a good point. So I, I, let's dig into yeah. that a little bit. So the let's look at some of the AI in music that we've been talking about. And it's not all nefarious. It's not all fake Drake. You know, we reported on the Endel uh, collaboration with Universal. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of twofold. You've got AI-generated music that's like lo-fi hip-hop or chill or, you know, the music you hear in doctor's offices, right? And that sure. is this new-agey kind of music that's been created by AI actually for years. And it's becoming better and more popular. And that's basically one side of it that, say, Endel and some of those 
companies can do. The part where it gets a little bit tricky, and this is why I was really interested that Endel um, collaborated with Universal, is when you're taking a body of work, let's say it's the Beatles or John Coltrane, and you're training that AI with that body of work, and you're generating new music based on that, and you can't generate something from nothing with AI. So when you see these generative AI tracks on YouTube or whatnot, fake Drake, they're using that person's body of work and that's not their um, possession. They don't have the rights to that. So there are some other ways that you and I have been talking about AI. And I just wanted to kind of point that out that there's, it's, it's a broad spectrum. It's a very broad spectrum. And certainly I'm guessing this uh, Sony position is, is a lot of the sort of business case and, and uh, back-end publishing and, and how you finance sure. things and all of that stuff. Maybe so a little that's, piracy that's, involved in there, too. Of and, course. And, uh, IP protection, but I think you're absolutely right. And look, this is, this is brand new. This is the first one. So congratulations, Jeff Taylor. Um, we'll, we'll see how this moves forward, but we wanted to let everybody, everybody know that's easy for you to say. It's a new world out there. It is a new world. And, but you know, with, with new technology comes new opportunities. And I think it's ultimately going to, uh, it's, it's going to be a super great thing for most of these, uh, you know, sides of the business and whether it's on the production side or whether it's on, you know, localization, doing language things that, that, that allow you to, to release music in a different country, yes. a different language easily. Lots of things that will really, you know, get busted wide open with all this technology. And it's going to be exciting. It's and, very exciting. I agree. And scary. Yeah, it's scary at the same time. By the way, Jay, you know, when we uh, do the podcast, we are so lucky to have fantastic sponsors. And yeah, we I sure say are. that uh, we have to do a shout at every time because we've, uh, since we started the podcast, we've been so lucky to have great people helping us put it together, including HypeBot. Since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. It is edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton with help from Alana Bonilla, HypeBot, and sister blog music think tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform bands in town oh yes bands in town over 74 million live music fans trust bands in town to get personalized concert alerts recommendations and messages from their favorite artists it's the number one artist services platform connecting over 560,000 artists with their super fans Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. Yes, indeed. And big thanks to the Music Business Association. The Music Business Association creates the rooms in which the important conversations that shape our industry's future take place. We know when we work together, our industry, your business, and your people will be stronger. Our membership represents every major segment of the global music business, including labels and and distributors, music streaming, retail and wholesale, publishers and pros, rights management and metadata, artist managers, tech and startups. Uh, To get more information, go over to themusicbiz.org for more information. So big thanks to the Music Business Association, our good friends over at HypeBot, and of course, Bands and Tales. Oh, yes. And I got to say, when I get to do this show every week, I get to hang out with the man that is rocking St. Petersburg today, (laughs) my good friend Jay Gilbert. He is a music industry consultant. He's the curator of the fabulous weekly Your Morning Coffee newsletter and a former executive 
with Universal, Sony, and Warner Music Groups. Yes, and my good friend Mike Edchart sitting across from me, longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal Music Groups, where we used to hang out and talk music regularly. We still do. <laughs> we certainly do. And, you know, I was just chatting with a, a, a musician friend of mine. We were talking about the band Jellyfish and uh, mentioned that we used to work with Albie Galutin uh, oh, at Universal yeah. and our good friend. And we would we would just torture Albie with questions about how he made those Jellyfish <laughs> records and right. how to get that drum sound and those keyboard parts. And, Which is crazy uh, because, you know, he worked on Saturday Night Fever and Barbara Streisand oh, yeah. and Eric Clapton and all this stuff. And we we're like, no, 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 no. Tell us about Jellyfish. <laughs> That's right. We don't care about any of that. <laughs> Tell us about <laughs> jellyfish. Yeah. Oh boy, it was a it was an interesting eclectic group that we work with, and and a lot of musicians over there. Oh and, yeah. You know, I think one of my um, one of my criticisms of a lot of people, and and it, it may have changed a bit, but still, I think there's a the record industry does a terrible job of educating their employees on how records are made. Oh, 100%. What are the important parts of that, yep. of that process? And yep. what are the assets that are, that are created when you make a record? And, um, and maybe I, to I, your I, point before how the different part, uh, departments, uh, work together or not. Yes. Yes. And so I think when, when you and I got in the business, we kind of came again from playing in bands and knowing some of that stuff. And that was important things to know, especially yeah. when we were working on surround sound things, you know, looking for the tapes and the assets and knowing what they should look like. And uh, hopefully uh, people are doing a little bit better job. But, you know, what scares me, too, is that, you know, we we were there for the transition between tape and digital assets. And, I, you know, I, I as people turning in hard drives with with material on them, it's going to be hard to retrieve some of that information. And, yeah. and it's, yeah, it's a lot of stuff going on over there that uh, yeah. that I think they could improve upon. Yeah. But anyway. Good times. A lot of stuff. Yes. So let's let's jump into the stories, Jay. Boy, there's a lot of good mm. ones. And, you know, we've talked about this first one. So this is from Variety. Yep. AM and FM radio do not pay royalties to artists. And they're saying that's un-American. Absolutely true. But we've talked about this. And this topic has been battered around back and forth a lot over the last couple of decades and yet we're still in the same situation which is just well we were talking about the countries that do this meaning that they don't pay the performers now the publishing side they get paid on but the performers so if you and I record a song and we play it on uh, or it gets played on the radio we don't get paid for that in the United States the other countries where that's true is Russia, China, North Korea. So we're not in particularly good company. Not at all. And uh, and of course, then the, the, the blowback on that is that oftentimes uh, uh, American artists are not paid in those territories that do do that because of the fact that they're the, in this, you know, let's call it, say, the British artist doesn't get those performance roles. That's a good here. point. Yeah. And this is a guest post um, by a bipartisan group, uh, you know, in the House of Representatives, um, Senators uh, Alex Padilla, he's a Democrat from California, and Marsha Blackburn, a Republican from Tennessee. And it kicks off by saying, since the dawn of radio, the United States has been and remains the only major country in the world where terrestrial radio pays no royalties to performers or recorded music copyright owners of the songs it plays, while the more than 8,300 AM and FM stations across the country pay royalties to songwriters and publishers, 
They have never paid performers or copyright holders, although streaming services and satellite radio do. Yeah, so the bipartisan American Music Fairness Act, which aims to address that situation, was introduced into the House of Representatives in 2021. And the Senate last year by, as you said, Jay, uh, Senators Alex Padilla uh, and Marsha Blackburn. Music is undeniably one of our nation's greatest treasures. Amen. And one of the most significant exports. For a century, American musicians have created masterpieces that are enjoyed around the world, transcending language barriers, coloring key moments in history, and giving voice to cultural revolutions. Uh, so today, World Music Day gives us an opportunity to pause and appreciate the artists who create the soundtrack of our lives. Yeah, I think that's really important. And that's why it was a big banner. If you looked at your morning coffee mm-hmm. this last week, it was a huge banner pointing this out. Because when I talk to people within the industry, you'd be surprised how many people aren't aware of the fact that the performers are not paid. So for nearly a century, American broadcasters, they've used this antiquated loophole to avoid paying performers for the Songs that they choose to fill their airwaves. Although money changes hands every time a song plays on the radio, the law requires that songwriters are compensated, for example. Many of the artists whose work is featured on the track receive nothing. And we covered this last year, and I remember um, there were stations that were arguing that this will put us out of business. If you charge us for this, it's going to put us out of business. And we had a guest on the podcast who said no. That's not what's going to happen. And we're talking a few hundred dollars for these smaller stations in, you know, annual fees. It's not going to put anybody out of business. But if you're building your business on the backs of performers, it stands to reason they should be compensated. Right. As we were kind of saying, this decades long injustice also hurts American artists abroad. The majority of foreign nations, those who already pay their own artists for radio airplay, currently withhold royalties from American music creators simply because the U.S. does not reciprocate by paying their performers. As a Mm -hmm. result, hardworking American artists are missing out on approximately $200 million every year, money that could ultimately flow back into the American economy. If only we did right by our artists at home. Yeah, they're saying that this is un-American. And, you know, they also recognize that the vital role that broadcast radio serves in local communities, developing artists. The AMFA would ensure that stations making less than $1.5 million in annual revenue or whose parent companies make less than $10 million in annual revenue, they would pay less than, you ready for this? Less than $2 per day. Owned yeah. or no more than $500 annually for unlimited music. So when you hear that argument that this is going to put all these radio stations out of business, it's just not uh, consistent with the facts. No. As is additionally, the bill calls for explicit consideration of the promotional value broadcasters offer artists. This balance approach proves it's possible to support both music creators and small broadcasters and has therefore earned the support of countless artists, community broadcasters, and their allies, worker advocates, and labor unions alike. Yeah. I mean, the final point I'll put on this, this is such a great piece. Uh, Variety has always been one of our go-to places, but it didn't say who wrote this. It just said Variety staff, but I think I kind of have a sense of who the main writers were. Uh, This World Music Day that we're talking about, you know, as support for AMFA continues to grow, it's time we respect and honor our hardworking American artists. Amen. That means that more than singing their praises, it means finally respecting the artists that have helped define our lives, 
you know, with the paychecks they've rightly earned. So great piece yeah. from uh, Variety, and we'll continue to report on this. And and kudos to Senators Alex Padilla and Marsha Blackburn for a little uh, bipartisanship, which is sorely missed and needed in uh, politics today. Absolutely. But I just hope they can get it across the finish line this yeah. time because this these bills have been have come up, you know, over the last many, many, many years, and we still, for some reason, can't get it done. And I hope this time, uh, yeah, we can. So, yeah. uh, back to AI. Uh, this is from Time Magazine: Grammys okay AI use in music, but ban fully AI generated songs. That seems pretty so, reasonable, doesn't it? Yeah, it I does. mean, because we've been Absolutely. using AI in music in some form or another for years. This isn't like brand new it's just been in the public consciousness so much you know over the last say six to 12 months yeah well and and the technology has really ramped up yeah. boy i mean you, you've, you've seen dramatic improvements absolutely over the last, yeah even the last six months mm-hmm. and so but it is interesting to kind of see the 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 way these stories and the way these issues just kind of uh, permeate and or not permeate, but they they, they kind of bubble under. And yeah. Then all of a sudden, then boom, boom and there it is, right? It's and, everywhere. And what I loved about yeah. our conversation last week or, or the week before was that we were afraid that the music industry would pull one of those Napster moments and try to kill it. And yeah. what I love about the Endel deal with Universal and some of these other things is that it seems like they're starting to embrace the technology a little bit. And they, the way they pointed out here is that artificial intelligence is really permeating the, the entire artistic world, you know, and the fact that the recording Academy, you know, that's the organization behind the Grammys, they're accounting for under their new eligibility requirements that restrict fully AI generated songs makes sense, but allow mm-hmm. for, you know, use in award eligible music. Sure. So they, uh, the recording academy, announced the recording academy, announced Friday that artists can use AI in their songs and submit them for consideration for an award as long as there is a meaningful human authorship component in the work. <laughs> songs that are fully generated by AI, however, won't be eligible for any awards, and only human creators can be considered nominated or win a Grammy award. Right. And you just said meaningful and it's in quotation marks. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to follow that. Like what does meaningful mean? Is there a yes. percentage of it? Is it certain stems or tracks or lyrics? Could it be a chat GPT lyric that did it, but somebody created the music? So many questions, but I, I like the direction it- it's going. They said that other changes have also been announced, um, including one saying that an artist will have to have contributed at least 20% of the work put into an album for it to be considered for album of the year. That's super interesting. It is. Uh, The new Grammy Award qualifications come after more recent advancements in AI have led to generative AI, which we talked about, which can create new content. Experimental use of technology in music has been around for decades, though. Yeah, it sure Uh, has. you know, and as they say, the rise of AI and its use in the music industry has been seen through a new wave of AI-generated songs by popular artists that have made their way online. Tracks like 
Hard on My Sleeve, which used AI to add vocals from Drake. And The Weeknd garnered millions of plays going viral online before eventually being taken down Mm -hmm. after complaints of copyright infringement from Universal Music Group. So, you know, it is interesting and we will see kind of, again, this is pretty broad stroke stuff. And I think the nitty gritty will really be you know, when you're talking about percentages and, and all kinds of things. And that, how do you have measure be, that? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, meaningful human authorship. Yeah. Um, and you were talking last well, week about the misconception about the new Beatles song that Paul McCartney's working on. Yeah. It's not being generated uh, from the Beatles body of work or from nothing. Talk a little bit about that use of AI. Yeah, well, it's, you know, the ability to sort of really pull out certain components of songs and use them. So to isolate tracks, let's say, of of just a stereo master, but being able to pull out, as, as Paul did, uh, a demo that John uh, Lennon had right. done on cassette, where, which is either him playing, uh, w- again, he was singing against his own piano playing or guitar playing. Paul just wanted the vocals. So with AI tools, he was able to pull that vocal out. And that's something they used in the, the Get Back documentary that Peter Jackson did. Uh, but that was done like three years ago. The technology just in that time has really advanced tremendously. Yeah. And again, that's super helpful, especially when in a world of Atmos mixes and things like that where you need these individual tracks mm-hmm. and sometimes the the masters are lost or you can't find everything and I've told the story of a couple of Steely Dan tracks that aren't in the universal vaults that are supposed to be the multi-tracks right and, you know and, and when we were working in surround sound back you know 15 20 years ago that meant game over you know you couldn't really do anything but now if you've got these ai tools you can again isolate tracks and it's got tremendous absolutely opportunities for for creativity in yeah. the space and so, the last thing i'll say really quickly is at the end of this article there's a little mistake <laughs> I think it says, you know, they were talking about McCartney, you know, using AI to isolate Lennon's voice, which you just talked about from the demo. And then the last line, it says it's kind of scary, but exciting because it's the future. We'll have to see where that leads. Lennon told the BBC. I don't think John Lennon said that to the BBC. I think that was uh, really Paul McCartney, a small little typo there. And then the last line of the article is just a reminder that the Grammy Awards are set to take place on February 4th, 2024. And this will be the first time with these AI, artificial intelligence rules applied. It's a new world, brother. It really is. But as we keep saying, it's an exciting world and and it does open up a, a lot of, like all technologies does, it opens up a lot of uh, opportunities for scammers and and you know and but it also op- uh, offer offers a lot of different opportunities for folks that are just working in the space and yeah. want to it's simplify and and do things that you couldn't do before technology wise it's really amazing and yeah. again we talk about you know that Peter Jackson using this technology for the Get Back documentary again that was three years ago and that was unbelievable then oh my gosh and, yeah and look at how far it's come now. groundbreaking and it's 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 just remarkable. And yeah, I think and it's gonna only going to get this. better, right? It's only yeah. going to. We're looking at early versions of Chat GPT and all of these mm-hmm. tools. And uh, they're on the Discord server. They had this hub for AI where you could go on. It's still up, and you can grab all, a lot of these tools. And they're trying to shut this thing down. 
but the cat's already out of the bag and there's so much going on now in the world of AI. But the good news is we've been reading that it's identifiable, meaning that a large mm -hmm. percentage, if not like 97, 98% can be identified with technology when they do use generative AI. And speaking of, of AI, uh, on this Time Magazine article, at least when you pull it up on the web, there's another thing talking about AI images and how that can be identified now. When, yeah. you know, we, we're talking, of course, about music, but boy, in the world of, of images and putting things in movies or in just still images... AI is pretty amazing and scary, which yeah. you can do. And I think it's it's worth noting that, especially with these images, it's not generating an image out of nothing, out of thin air. Right. It's using somebody mm -hmm. else's work to do that, and we believe that those people should be identified and compensated for it. So, fantastic piece uh, from Time Magazine uh, on the Grammys covering um, AI. Um, this last piece really isn't one piece, it's four pieces because there was so much news um, about Spotify this last week. I mean, there's a lot of news about Spotify every week, um, but the our headline was changes at Spotify, what you need to know. And it sort of kicks off with this really cool piece from our friend Bruce Houghton over at HypeBot. Um, and it's a really good reminder, and I've been telling clients and friends this for a while, the headline in uh, HypeBot was Spotify to delete historical artist data in 10 days. How to download yours now. And this is super important. And we can talk about why they're doing that in a second. But let's talk a little bit about uh, Spotify deleting historical data in Spotify for Artists. Yeah, so they've announced that it will delete all artist data over two years old, plus the year to date across the entire Spotify for Artists analytics platform on June 30th. Yeah. Yeah. Spotify will also eliminate analytics features that it says have quote unquote low usage, including similar artists and compared to other artist analytics. Right. All time stream counts on songs will not be affected. That's important to know. And Spotify says the change will make it possible to bring exciting new analytics features to Spotify for artists. See, that's the point. And you and I talked about this before we hit record. It's not that they're just deleting some features. They're trying to make room. You know, they've got a ton of data. If they've got 100 million plus tracks, that's a lot of data that they're storing and manipulating. So they're saying that they're going to get rid of some of this, to your point, to bring on new features. Well, let's, let's go through what some of those features are. Yeah. So those, these new features include custom date range filters on more pages. New engagement stats on your songs, uh, I'm sorry, on your songs page. Mm -hmm. um, then you also have new fan segmentation of your active audience, uh, more historical data on your audience engagement page, a new roster management view. Yeah, and that's key, uh, right? I mean, all of those yeah, things are that things stuff. that I think we're going to be using a lot more of. And I think this is actually a pretty good move. It's going to make it a little bit more robust and a little bit more um, user-friendly. And I happen to like the, the points that they're keeping and expounding on. And this is such a great piece um, from HypeBot. They explain how you save um, your Spotify data. And just, I, I highly recommend that you print out that article. But just in a nutshell, historical data from December 31st, 2020 and earlier will be available to download from Spotify for artists only until June 30th. So that date's coming yeah. up here. As we're recording this, it's June 24th. Um, this will drop on the 26th. So you only have a few days to do that. 
Um, look for the download arrow icon on song pages to download a CSV data file. This only works on the web and not from the Spotify for Artists mobile app. So do it from your desktop and make sure you go in there and grab your data and download that data. You may need it later and you may get curious and want to search through things and see how things were performing and, you know, kind of measure up against what you're doing now to see if you're under or overperforming what you've done in the past. But it was a such a great piece from Bruce over at Hypebot that kind of really simply uh, spells out how you do this. Super important, absolutely. And you and I were speaking again about the the just insane data storage that they that Spotify needs to have. And Can you imagine a, a, a number of times about how many songs on Spotify are never played? And <laughs> right. So you've. You know, you can go over once. to Forgotify. Yes. Not even once. Yeah. Uh, Forgot- is it Forgotify.com? Yes. I think yeah. it is. But, uh, yeah. You can go over there and uh, and and listen to a song that's never been listened to before. And so, but and I, I can't remember the numbers exactly. We've talked about it some time back. A, a, a staggering number of songs on Spotify just never get listened to, period. Yeah. And and yet they're, they're having to host that and store that and deliver, you know, have this infrastructure to deliver it, generate, even though nobody's asking yeah, for generate it. Generate analytics yeah. based on it. Oh yeah, and and so you've got this, and and it'll be interesting to see over time what Spotify does about that. You know, about having all of these or any any provider. You know, they have all these tracks that nobody is listening to. What do you do with those eventually? Do you that's charge a, for that's for a good them to point? Be con- and you and I kind of bounced some ideas back and forth a, a few weeks ago about potentially, you know, there's a fee associated with your music, uh, keeping it up if it's not being played at all, you know, mm-hmm. maybe, I don't know. It's, I hate to see it get into that granular level, but now we're getting to the point with the number of tracks that are uploaded, you know, for Spotify, that number is officially, at least according to billboard and, and Glenn, that's right around 60,000 tracks uploaded on average every day. If you include YouTube and SoundCloud, that number doubles to 120,000. That's why you hear that number being bounced around a lot. But whatever you look at, that's a lot of data that has to be stored, manipulated. And there's a cost associated with that. It's not free to have all those servers. Right. And so, uh, you know, that's a, a big business decision they have to make at some point, potentially. Um, but it is... You know, when we talk about that big number, 60,000, but if there's a, you know, if, if 50% of those aren't ever listened to, just to throw a number out, it, it's yeah, it's a hell of a problem to have. Yeah, well, the, anyway. la- the last point I want to make on this piece, and we, we've seen this in stories before, with that sheer volume of those tracks that we're talking about on average every day and the aggregate over 100 million, only 4% of those are from the majors. So... Right. It's uh, it's an indie world. It's a catalog world, and it's it's a big problem. So um, make sure you grab your data before it disappears from Spotify. Yeah, this next story on Spotify is from The Verge. Spotify's long anticipated hi-fi tier might require a more expensive subscription. Yeah, which is very interesting. Well, we've been and, talking uh, about that it, for a while, right? Um, yeah, they have. Um, they announced it a while back. And then it didn't happen, and people were wondering, well, what happened? Well, the stories that you and I have been talking about, they announced it, but then Apple and Amazon announced their 
uh, kind yeah. of hi-fi tiers. And then Spotify went, wait, hold on, let's regroup. Let's make sure that what we're offering is, you know, uh, worthy. And, you know, they said that years after the initial announcement, which was February 2021, you know, Spotify could offer lossless streaming as part of a new tier, and it was codenamed Supremium. By the way, there's a band called Supremium that I absolutely love. Um, That's a great name. Yeah. I was just thinking, I didn't know of the band. Oh, they're I was fantastic. Just thinking be a good name for a band. Yeah. Uh, the pricing of Spotify Hi-Fi has been a source of much speculation in the years since its announcement, especially after competitors, as Jay said, Amazon Music and Apple Music, started offering lossless streaming as part of their standard plans at no additional charge. Yeah, Spotify, uh, Spotify co-president ahead. Gustav Soderstrom said that the company will still tr- was still trying to work out the financials of the hi-fi offering. Yeah, the the problem is when we get into talking about pricing, right? A single subscription to Spotify's current premium tier, it's at 9.99 in the US, you know, since its original launch here in the US. And of course Apple and Amazon, you know, they updated uh, their standard tiers to 10.99. So the rumor is is that that this long anticipated hi-fi tier could be a different tier that requires a more expensive subscription. And you and I talked about this back in 2021. We thought it was a miss that we were launching this higher quality and it was still at the same price. And, you know, we talked to Will Page about that. You know, it's the price of a, you know, blockbuster rental car card and has been for so long, $9.99. And it went from back then, I don't know, it was like 30,000 tracks. And now it's, you know, a hundred thousand or whatever it is. And it's a hundred million on all the DSPs. It's, it's a whole much, a lot more value for this low price. And I really felt it was a miss that we didn't raise prices surrounding the, the lossless tier. Well, and, and my thoughts too are, okay, so you're going to have this premium tier, but usually, especially with the other uh, providers, that typically includes immersive music. And so we'll talk about what that, talk about what that means. Sure. Well, you know, the, the at, well, it started as Atmos mixes. I think Apple calls it spatial audio, but these immersive mixes, multi, you know, to use an old term, surround sound. Uh, but, but this has really gotten some, a lot of traction, and that's been sort of a calling card for Apple and Amazon, both of whom, of course, make uh, devices that will play them. Um, but I think they've kind of carved out what a premium tier is or should be, and that includes spatial or, or, or surround music and no, no mention of that. So can a premium tier survive in, in Spotify's world with just lossless audio? Yeah. I, I don't know. I think that, that kind of takes the wind out of it if, if, if there's no, no spatial audio. I agree. It. I think that Sony 360, Dolby Atmos that you're mentioning, you and I are big ambassadors. We're big fans we love it. You know, we've had the pleasure of, you know, firsthand sitting with some of the people who are creating these amazing uh, Dolby Atmos and Sony 360 mixes, you know, Greg Penny and Bruce Botnick. And, you know, thanks to you, I've had a chance to sit in the recording studio with these giants and listen to some of these amazing mixes. And I can't help but think that that's, that could be a big part of our business. And it just hasn't been yet. And it's really frustrating for me. And I'm hoping that, like you're saying, that this hi-fi tier could include that. And since Spotify is really the leader, if you put YouTube out of the picture for a second, as far as DSPs, they've got the most subscribers right now. And they can kind of be leaders in this space. But again, it shows kind of their 
a, a problem they have, which is, you know, they are, we've, we've talked about this a lot. First of all, they're the, they're music only. They don't have anything to fall back on and, and nor do they have a, a, uh, a, a, an internal company that's making devices. Right. So Amazon, Apple, they're making devices. Uh, now Sony, I mean, uh, Spotify can of course uh, partner with somebody like Sonos or a company like that. But you know, to not have that control in house of devices for this format, it really puts you in a bit of a disadvantage. Yeah. Uh, but then again, maybe it's an opportunity for Spotify and Sony to get closer together. So uh, Sony's three sixty audio uh, format. So I, I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see how, where they go with this. But I think just as we sit here today in June, uh, it you know, just just lossless seems like not enough for that premium tier. Right. Even if it's really a super, super high, you know, bit rate, you know, because frankly, mm-hmm. you know, for me, my ears can't really hear after say 190, you know, I can't really tell the difference, although I know a lot of people can. And I know Spotify has dipped their toe in the water with, you know, like the Spotify car thing. And it's, it's, I know that they're thinking about some of these things, but you're, you're absolutely right. That is their core business and they need to differentiate. Yeah, absolutely. Well, our next Spotify story is uh, as Spotify's door closes on Soundtrap, another opens. This is from Midia, uh, Tatiana Cristiano, uh, Cirasano. Yeah. I always pr- mispronounce her name. <laughs> Darn it. Sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, as it starts, the DAW to DSP pipeline that never was. Well, let's put a pin in that just for a second because I know you know this world and we hear DAW or DAW punched around a lot. Talk about what that means, you know, when they say DAW, D-A-W, to DSP. Sure. So that's a digital audio workstation, and which which isn't really the best name for, this, no. for what these are. But they're basically digital recording platforms, digital recording studios. So you have Pro Tools, of course, comes to mind. Logic comes to mind. Ableton. There's a there's probably I don't know, there's about ten major ones. Uh, so that's you know, and, and, th- and these have really replaced recording studios for the most part. Of course, recording studios still exist, and they use these platforms in them. But it allows people to make records at home and or at least, you know, complete them at home, take them into another studio to maybe do other things. But it's yes, it's, of course, put the put the uh, it's changed the way music is. Created. Oh, yeah. It's it, changed the entire game. Right. I've got artists who are recording their albums literally at home and they're high quality, you know, world class quality. You know, Spotify, they sold Soundtrap back to its founders after purchasing the company in late 2017. This comes after Spotify also sold that company Sound Better, uh, Mm -hmm. the music collaboration marketplace that it acquired in 2019. It sold that back to its founders in 2021. And it's worth kind of talking about the reasons why creator tools didn't really work for Spotify and why a similar vision could still work for others. Sure. It's a, it, uh, the article says it made perfect sense for a streaming platform to own both a music marketplace like SoundBetter and a digital audio workstation or DAW like Soundtrap. This ecosystem would have given Spotify a hand in every part of the creator's process from finding collaborators and sounds to work with to producing music through, its, uh, through to releasing it on streaming services. It also gives Spotify a new type of revenue stream that it so desperately needs. Yeah, and it sounded so much like 
like what band lab has already accomplished. Mm-hmm. So, and they talked about band lab and the piece that, you know, it's one of Soundtrap's uh, competitors and, you know, it's worth uh, noting the contrast between the two, you know, BandLab, the social music creation ecosystem, you know, with a range of tools for creators to find collaborators, buy sounds, get feedback, promote their music, and even submit it to record labels. That's BandLab. And they have more than 60 million creators. Um, I, I got to meet with their founder and CEO at South by Southwest, and I'm really impressed with what BandLab has uh, accomplished and what they're continuing to accomplish. They recently raised $25 million in funding, boosting its valuation to, get this, $425 million. Wow. But as they say, one door closes, another (laughs) opens. Just because the creator ecosystem strategy did not work for Spotify does not mean it would not work for another type of streaming service. Consumption platforms with user-generated content in the mix like SoundCloud, YouTube, and even TikTok may be able to compete to complete, I should say, the DAW to DSP pipeline without upsetting traditional labels and distributors as much. ByteDance is already on this path. It has creation, which is MOF, M-A-W-F, distribution, sound on, marketing, TikTok, mm-hmm. of course, and consumption, Reso slash TikTok music. Yeah. So, so it's already kind it's of happening. A, and I love that they yep. say that it's not going to upset the you know major apple cart. But remember what we mentioned a few minutes ago. 4% of what's being uploaded every week is from the majors. So these tools are primarily for those developing artists, indie artists. Not to say that they're necessarily small artists, because some of these indie artists are massive. Um, but I love what BandLab's doing. Um, I think that they're absolutely right that some of these DAW to DSP um, situations and collaborations are only going to get stronger and bigger. And this, we don't really talk about that too much. And I I've thought it was a really great piece by our friend Tatiana Sirisano over at Midia, who I think I mentioned a few weeks ago, I got the chance to... Uh, moderate a panel that she was on at uh, Music Biz and got to say hi to her and tell her that you and I are big fans. Big fans, indeed. But, you know, this is complex stuff. And again, things that sometimes look good on paper, uh, when the reality is, you know, it's outside of your sort of uh, sphere of influence, perhaps, or outside of your expertise. Um, And we've seen this in in many different ecosystems where they kind of try to branch out and sometimes it just doesn't go so well. And which is not to say you shouldn't try again, but it is hard to integrate companies like that sometimes. Yeah. And I think back to uh, when, when I was in the Warner Music Group, I worked for their um, uh, this this group called Warner Active, which was basically making games. And the the, the music business and the, and the movie business tried so many times to integrate that business because they thought, of course, well, we create, we, we create content or we create stories. Why shouldn't we be in the games business? Well, it's different. That's why. Yeah. And, and there were, it, they never still really got it right. And so it's, you know, it's hard to, to integrate this stuff sometimes. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see where it goes. Yeah. But it, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be tried again. Yeah. And it's, it's super it's cool. Working super, in some quarters. Yeah. Super interesting. Yeah. And the, the last uh, uh, Spotify bit of news we want to cover is the, the headline from TechCrunch. And it was uh, Asia Malik wrote this piece called Spotify's Revamped Desktop App lets you browse and organize your libraries like you do on mobile. And we've been seeing that a lot lately with, you know, Apple Music and with uh, Amazon and with uh, Deezer and 
and even SoundCloud, they're they're really moving to innovate and make the user experience uh, much better. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so Spotify is updating its desktop experience with redesigned Your Library and Now Playing interfaces. The company announced on Tuesday, the new changes are designed to align Spotify's desktop experience with its mobile app. You can now explore, browse, and organize your libraries like you do it like you do on the company's mobile app. Yeah, which we're all used to doing, right? You know, on the left-hand side mm-hmm. of the app, um, you'll find Your Library which lets you quickly access your saved music and podcast collections. Hopefully your morning coffee is in there. The company says initial tests showed that users found the new library helpful in saving them time and allowed them to make more uh, easily switch between playlists. On the right side of the app, you'll find the the now playing view. So that's in quotation marks, now playing, uh, which displays the current song or podcast you're listening to. The company wrote in a blog post. You can even find more information about the song and artist here, as well as information on tour dates and merch, making it easier to connect with your favorite artists and discover more about them. For select podcasts, you can even follow transcripts as you listen. Oh, that's super cool. You know, I find that... All of these innovations, I think they're starting to look at how users actually use their products, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, Mike Branvold and I talk about this all the time, that there's so many platforms, apps, things out there where you can tell they didn't spend a lot of time watching people actually use them to see how they work. So I think these are really, really positive uh, um, things that are happening. Yeah, but it's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot of stuff going on over there. A lot of changes. Changes to quote David Bowie, um, <laughs> and there will be more in the future. So on that note, we got to wrap up the episode. Yeah. Jay's got to hit the beach because he is in St. Pete, hanging out in the Gulf. I am, uh, but we do want to thank everyone for for listening in. Jay and I really appreciate sure the folks do. that uh, that download us every week, and we do not take it for granted. We also want to thank Hypebot, bands in town, and the Music Business Association for helping us put it together. And on that note, thanks for listening in. We will see you next time on the Your Morning Coffee Podcast. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.